so the first thing, um, you ready to talk about it? Yep. Okay. So, so the first thing is, is, um, what is it? Growing, you know, I, I've, I've come from that Baptist non-denominational uh, evangelical theology where it's like no creed but Christ. I'm ahistorical. And what I'm learning is that is uh, it's not it, it's not right that thinking, and so like I've been told told things we we've been programmed to think like things like baptism regeneration is bad, but it's like you look at church history, you see all these other people believing that. So like w- were they crazy? Then you understand okay no they're not, and here's the reasons why. And then like you see it in the scriptures like oh yeah like why do I interpret that this way like water. In relation to baptism, I interpret that spiritually because my background, you know, told me to do it that way. And not that that's wrong, like, like that could be right. But at the same time, it's like both sides are, are traditions. One's just saying, I'm, I'm starting my own tradition. And one's saying, no, I'm just going back on the church tradition. Right. But there's, you know, of course, you know, primary scriptura, you know, scriptures is primary. And, so, and that's actually what's probably convincing me or not, you know, you know, I say probably because yeah, you know, there is, I, I do stand upon the shoulders of other men. Sure. Everybody does. Like, I'm just trying to be honest. Um, and, and I realize is that to say the baptism regeneration and, and I think, think that th- this is the biggest thing. It's not saying baptism saves you. It's saying God uses baptism as, as a means to save you. And if, if that can be, the starting point God uses baptism as a means to save you. And let me give you an example. Okay. And I got this from Jordan Cooper. And this is a great example. When Jesus healed the blind man in John, not John nine, he spit. Uh, and then, you know, it was his saliva and he made mud and he put that mud on the man's eyes. Right. Yep. You wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that mud uh, cured him. We would say Jesus did. And we recognize that intuitively. Like, we don't even have to think about that. But he used mud to do it. The instrument that he worked through. Correct. And, was the mud. And I think in the scriptures, there's two verses that are key for showing this. One oh, sorry, is, you just broke up. Say uh, that again. And I think in the scriptures, there, there's two that are key for showing this. And one is, and this is a good one that I just saw recently, actually. They talk about Ephesians 5, talking about how marriage represents a church in Christ. And it says, after talking about Jesus, he goes in verse 26, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So the washing there is baptism. It's alluding to baptism. A lot of commentaries like John Wesley you know, uh, Adam Clark, you know, they see allusions to that, like, you know, that genre of, of, of theologians, even the Protestant Presbyterian side. Yep. So, so he said, so he said he, he cleansed her with, or by the, the washing and baptism of water with the word. So it's the promise attached to baptism that saves not baptism. Yeah. I mean, I think of, um, the confession, like one baptism for the remission of sins. I believe that's the count, the Nicene confession. Uh, yeah, one baptism for the remission of sins, think, thinking in a global universal sense. Well, all right, so here's here's the question. There's a lot of questions, but here's yeah. the question. It, it comes down to, so even if you're dispensationalist or even if you wouldn't use a covenant theology, hermeneutic, or framework, you still have to do something with covenants. You could even really almost translate 
Old Testament, New Testament as Old Covenant, New Covenant. The words themselves are so close in the Hebrew yeah. and the Greek. So you have to do something with covenants. Like my dad is a dispensational. Love him. He would still say like, yeah, they're huge, overarching, organizing principles in scripture. Now he would say the biggest one is a set of dispensations. You're familiar with all of that. Yeah. So you got to do something with the covenants. So you have an old covenant and it has this, the circumcision. It has Passover. Something happens and a new covenant is inaugurated. And this baptism is uniquely tied to that new covenant. The whole question, if you could literally answer, what does baptism do in relation to the new covenant? I think you would literally have... You would be settled either baptism already, generation, paedo baptism, this, that, or the other. What does baptism do in relation to the new covenant? And I mean, I'm still thinking about that too, because here's the one side baptism mechanically, I mean, not mechanically, baptism brings you into the new covenant. Doug Wilson would say this if you have been baptized, you are in the new covenant. Now you'll be a covenant keeper or a covenant breaker. You'll be judged as one of those two. But if you've been baptized, in the name of the triune God, you're in the new covenant. That would be uh, Jonah M. Soller, same thing he would say. Baptism puts you in the new covenant. Now, that doesn't mean if we just baptize someone, even if they're resisting, we just do it in the town square, we say the right words, oh, they're saved. There's obviously a faith element to it needed. But if baptism doesn't bring you into the new covenant, then that's a whole different framework. Because it seems to me that basis of that regeneration is because baptism unifies you, this is this is the tough part. How can you be united to Christ but not have the benefits of union with Christ? But if baptism unites you to the Christ through the new covenant, um, what? Yeah, where does faith play into that? You see how that's the key question. And I think of Hebrews, yeah. for example, to play my hand. It seems like the whole message of Hebrews is that this is a better covenant because the old covenant. The problem with it was. It, it lost the kids. It lost the adults. So they would do this external circumcision. So they would circumcise the flesh. They would partake of the Passover, but it wasn't keeping them. These whole generations would die off in unbelief in the wilderness. These whole generations would do what seemed right in their own eyes, the judges. These whole generations would pick wicked kings and go to worship. And so the whole old covenant has this massive problem, even though it's glorious. Second Corinthians talks about this. There's a glory to the old covenant. And it seems like the message of Hebrews is like, it's a new covenant. It's a better covenant. It's mediated on better promises. It has a better foundation. It's on the perfect life of Christ that can never be extinguished, the matchless power of his everlasting life. Uh, so it seems like that's the whole narrative of it's a better covenant. So all those in the new covenant are saved. The old one couldn't keep them, but the new one can. Yeah, so um, hmm, let me, yeah, the, yeah, I'm trying to think of what, what to... Um respond to because you said you know a bunch so i guess you know you know let's talk about the faith aspect part because you know here's the thing and 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 this is what what um you know you know we talked about it via text you said well you know i figure you said something about baptism but you know apart from faith doesn't save or something like that because the reformers they you know you know they were careful to to talk about that and even you know some methodists that you know baptism is effectuate effectuate by faith effectuated Effectuated Effic efficacy. I always have a hard efficacious. time. Saying it. Efficacious. Or the efficacy. We're, we're both stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I got my my master degree, so everything I say is right. Oh. From, from from Liberty, from from Liberty University. <laughs> well, when I get my master's in public health this year, uh, then we'll be equally smart. And then we'll be wrong together. 
Yeah. So, well, okay. So the thing is with baptism, well, you know what? Uh, there's one more verse, you know, I want to talk about too is Titus three, five. This is a big one. Paul says he's saved to talk about God and on the basis of deeds, which he, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing, renewing by the Holy spirit. So if you understand that yeah. washing there as a reference to baptism, Paul would then be saying he saved us not on the basis of deeds, but by the washing, by the baptism of regeneration. So even if that, if that's not a hard, you know, physical aspect of baptism, like, 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 I don't believe that's a hard, you know, thing of a baptism. Like that's always by baptism, but at the very least there's a strong correspondence to it. Paul then would, would be saying God saved us not on works, but by or through as a means of this. And so, you know, then it gets into, okay, well, is that apart from works? Is that just, uh, uh, uh what's the Catholic term? Ex operato, whatever. Uh, ex opere operato. It works because it works. Gotcha. So, so I believe you, you do have to have faith, but you know, then, then, then the question comes into, okay, well, what about infants? Well, I don't think they can't have faith, but they can't also not have faith because if we're saying that there's a condition for salvation, which we are, which is faith, mm -hmm. including baptism, baptism, baptism is a, a efficacious for those who have faith. Amen. But also, what about infants, though, you know, when we say, well, they can't believe, well, I would also say, well, they can't also not believe. So if baptism is signifying the thing, you know, there's a thing and a thing signified in baptism, if there's an objective grace being communicated to the infant, yes, he can't believe, but he can't also not believe. So he can't reject that grace. So I would say that there is something effectuating, being uh, efficacious to that infant by baptism but that he cannot reject. Isn't faith a positive declaration? So like at our church, we do a liturgy and we confess sins. So that's confessing what we are. And then we confess not just our sins. We don't just say, I'm a sinner, I'm this, I'm that. We make a positive confession of Christian faith. So we confess the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty. I would say faith. Now, here's the tough part. The 1689, which I hold to, does affirm that the Spirit can regenerate infants uh, outside of the normal means. So individuals that would be like severely handicapped. Doi. Talk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> me, when I get to my, my biostats midterm. Uh, sorry. Individuals <laughs> that are too young, that die, infants that die in infancy, individuals that are too handicapped to articulate those things. They can be born again, given the gift of faith. So that's the tough part. But faith does seem to be a positive confession. It's knowledge, knowing who God is, trust or assent so not just knowing who god is but saying i believe that and then trust so i know god is real i believe he is real that's a personal confession for me and then i literally trust in it so not just yep that's true but i'm not going to trust this airplane enough to go on it i trust that i know it i agree to it and then actually trust it i don't think an infant can have that short of a supernatural special grace given again for elect infants 1689 says, elect infants dying in infancy. Somebody who has Down syndrome who literally can't understand what's being said. I know some individuals can, but like someone severely mentally handicapped that couldn't articulate, couldn't understand those things. So I would say an infant can not have faith because there's not a positive articulation of Jesus is my savior. I don't, yeah, but uh, well, you know what, just to go back to infants dying in salvation, do you believe only elect infants go to heaven? I'm not trying to argue with that. I'm, I'm trying to understand. I don't know that all do. Uh, okay. Well, because all oh, the know, elect ones do. 
Gotcha. Well, so, you know, this is the thing, because a lot of people, especially in the Baptist non-denominational world, though, though rightfully, I think rightfully, I think all infants, regardless of baptism, go to heaven. But, you know, we don't have a problem saying that, right? But what we're also saying is it's apart from that actual conscience faith. So does that mean it's a work salvation? Or are we saying that God can work through means to to regenerate an uh, an infant? I would say, yeah. Yep. So it's like, why then is it a problem for me to say in baptism they're regenerated? But, you know, I can't say that, but I can say, oh, when they die, they're going to heaven. Well, they're also a sinner. So that means God has to wash away, atone for their sins, regenerate them. Why can I say this in death, but I can't say this in baptism? I'll, I'll tell you exactly why. Because one is one assumes just because I do a thing, something spiritual happens. The other one recognizes the mystery. So the proof text for that infants, elect infants can be regenerated is John 3, where Jesus says the spirit goes when and where it will, where it comes from, no one knows. In the sense that the spirit does a work that we can't pin down. Like I can't say, if we play these three songs and repeat this prayer, the spirit will be here and save people. The spirit comes and goes as it will. It says Jesus to, to Nicodemus when he meets with him uh, in John 3. But when I say, oh, no, actually, baptism is this tool that if said with the right words, and this is Catholicism, even if you hold to it, you have to admit yeah. the right words, the right people, the right place. I, I, I managed to achieve something spiritual. I think that breaks like this world we live in, the physical one, it is mechanical. I do X, I get Y. But the spiritual, it just, it isn't. Well, I don't, I don't actually it's not think, like that. I don't actually think that's correct. So sacrament, uh, what is it like a root word means mystery. So, you know, there, you know, you right? could say there is a mystery. And so it's not voodoo. It's not magic. It's, it's God working through ordinary means of grace. And it's funny that you mentioned John three. <laughs> uh -oh. Actually, aha! Uh -huh, I got him now, guys. <laughs> stop the stop the count. He's done for. Oh, he was like Joe Rogan. Oh, he's hurt. He's hurt. Oh. <laughs> so you know, because I want to talk about this, and this is this is a huge one for me actually. So I'm going through the Gospel of John. I just finished all all, all the Gospels. Oh, I am too. Oh, yeah. So I just finished John. John, um, and this is a big one for me too. And so. Is the water in John 3, 5, the same verse, the context that talks about the spirit blows blows where it wishes. John, John 3, 5, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he kind of entered into the kingdom of God. Now, some will say and argue, well, that water is metaphorical for the washing that God does for us, which, okay, that's credible. Like, like, like you're not an idiot for saying that. Like, I don't think, oh, sure. you're, you, you know, I, I understood that for years about that. But here's what got me, okay? So one, baptism regenerationists will argue, see the water there was physical, that's baptism and the spirit. You could argue there's water, there's a physical and spiritual, and both in Jesus saying, but, you know, unless one is born of water, baptism and the spirit, he can enter the kingdom of God. Okay, but you could argue, okay, that's spiritual. And here's what got me is, if you go down to verse 22 and, and uh, verse 23, it says, after these things, so after talking about this, water, born again, baptism through spirit, when, you know, spirit blows where it wishes, it says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came to the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing, okay? Mm -hmm. And verse 23, uh, John also was baptizing an aeon, if I'm saying that right, near Solomon. Because listen to this, there was much water there, 
and people were coming and were being baptized. So I thought to myself, wait a minute, after Jesus just talked about being born again in reference to water having some kind of in, you know application or correspondence or interpretation to this, we have going into baptism and in verse 23 and there was and he was baptizing there because of the water. So is the water in verse 23 literal? Is the baptism literal? Yeah, in the same context, and or at least in, in close to the same context, there is baptism and there's water. And so if we understand the water in verse 3-5 to be baptism, as we do in verse 22-23, I can say Jesus is teaching that unless one is born of water, baptism, and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So then baptism would be a means by which God initiates those into the church. So all those baptized, we you know, we can assume all, all those, those physically baptized. All those physically baptized have been baptized into Christ. Right. Which you're affirming there, though, then if you are baptized, you're part of the new covenant. And so they for, saved. In, for infants, but for adults, I would still put the condition because salvation is by faith and only by faith. So because infants can't reject that, I would assume, I would suppose they are in the church as a regenerate, not, not, not a corporate, but like as a regenerated person. Well, for one, the narrative of John three, remember Nicodemus, Jesus says like, you must be born again. And Nicodemus makes the mistake. I'm not saying like every single thing then is spiritual. Nicodemus yeah. makes the mistake of thinking, how could a man literally be physically born again? He's thinking like, could I go back into my mother and somehow be rebirthed? He's thinking on the spirit, the physical plane. And so I think there is precedence to say, John 3, 5, that early section before we get into going out baptizing, there's a sense where Jesus is speaking of, and I would say, I believe in one Holy Spirit, one baptism for the remission of sins. They were thinking of, of baptism because there's, there's physical baptism, but we have to make sure to remember, too, there's the spiritual baptism in which the believer in Christ, uh, Peter talks about this, that in Christ they're in the ark, that the flood of God's judgment crashed upon Christ, not instead of them, but they are safe and they are locked up. And it's that baptism that's saved because I'm in Christ, because I have union with him. The floodwaters of God's judgment will never reach me. That's baptism, too, in a sense. That the floodwaters crash over, but we rise again because we are kept safe. We're held safe by God. Uh, so there's the physical baptism, literal physical water. There's the spiritual baptism above it. All that spiritual baptism above and the physical, to be fair, is the one baptism of one church by the one Holy Spirit. So that's how I would interpret that passage. But to be fair, I mean, I think it's Matthew, but he does talk about John the Baptist baptism for the remission of sins jesus baptized to identify uh what does he say to fulfill all righteousness to fulfill all righteousness yeah. um like you said the end of john john chapter three about john the baptist others going in this says there's much water which for one that means no sprinkling uh but for two yeah it it's there I, I don't think also too like like i don't think everything's a hard physical baptism but i think it's placing a high view of it where, where that water, yeah, we are talking about baptism, but it's also, you know, you know, there is a spiritual baptism where it's like, they're so intertwined with one another. That, and that's because there's a thing and the thing signifying, you know, Christ cleanses church by the washing of water by the word. So it's, it's not, you know, uh, we can go to first Peter where he talks about right. baptism now saves you. Right. 
it's nothing less than than the physical baptism, but I would say almost it's more. Correct. Sense. Yeah. So um, actually, you know, because in in First Peter three, and this is another one, he goes, you know, you're talking about how Noah and his family were saved through the waters by the ark. So that's physical water, and he goes corresponding to that. Baptism now saves you. Now people yep. will look at the negative. So 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 we have a positive in that verse. Baptism saves you positive. Now we have a negative, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. So, you know, you know, what I see is that the Catholics, the Anglicans, Methodists, Lutherans, some Methodists, not all, the, you know, they'll affirm the positives. Right. And then the Baptists will affirm the negative. Well, Peter has both. So yep. I do think the baptism there is a physical one because the waters and, and the floods were physical. So he's saying corresponding to that baptism now saves you. But he says not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. So I um, actually like what John Calvin talked about this, basically affirming that baptism is effectuous for the believer. So Peter is saying that baptism saves you for those who believe. So so baptism as a means, just as an ark saved them through the water, so baptism saves us through that, but it's through the appeal of a good conscience to God. So then you would have baptism as a means again. So what's saving you is not baptism per se, but it's a thing attached to baptism. It's a word, it's a promise attached to it. And I think that's, that can be said of, of if it is physical baptism, which I think it is, that there is a condition on it, which is salvation by faith. So baptism, again, going back to it, is only a means. So it's not in the Catholic sense where there's this hard conflation of the thing and the thing signified. Yep. There's still a distinction between the thing and the thing signified. Not even conflation, they identify. This transubstantiation, it is the body and blood. Correct. Like is means is in a Lutheran sense. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, here's the problem then. I have faith. I actually had this happen to me. I was at a conference. You had faith? Like, I believe it or not, I, I struggle some days. <laughs> Is it also call? I, the music was playing. It was, uh, no. Uh, I was at a conference and someone came up to me and said, we're taking the Lord's Supper. And he said, can I take the Lord's Supper? I haven't been baptized yet. <gasps> I said, yes. Mm. I was on the spot. But he has faith in Jesus. He's participating in the Lord's Supper the new the 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 sacrament of the new covenant if say for example he was to to walk out into the parking lot and, and get hit by a car he would still be thinking in the holistic sense saved so yeah and justified right. so then baptism isn't aha great point that's when right? you talk about distinguish between the ordinary means and the necessary means so you're saying Ordinarily, because I'm assuming he's now been baptized, ordinarily that faith is then confirmed and that baptism is the means by which he's inducted into so the are, church. So there are normal, there, there are the normal means of grace and the necessary means. So the necessary is um, if you're a Christian, okay, and you have faith, or if you come to faith in Jesus, you're saved, right? What if you're not baptized? Well, I would still say, well, you can still be saved or you still are saved by faith in Jesus. But I think, you know, I think a, a true believer will be baptized, but like, say like he, you know, like he dies too soon, right? Say, say he's going to get baptized. Like maybe yeah, thief on the cross. Later. Yeah. Thief on the cross. And he dies. Is he going to heaven? Of course he has faith in Jesus. Amen. That's what the scriptures yep. affirm. But I think, you know, I think eventually you will get baptized as a true believer. I don't think you think. Oh, Absolutely. Gonna, you're going to put it off. So what do we do there? Well, there's a normal means of grace and there's a necessary means of grace. Necessary. It's nest. You have to have faith in Jesus to be saved. And that's actually too, what I like about John Wesley. Maybe you can read a sermon and uh, not now, obviously, yeah. 
<laughs> Let me just read the whole sermon. <laughs> so it's the new birth, and he talks about there. You know what? Let me just quote this to you because I want to talk about like, like like this is the language that I that I like using now for this. Yep. So he goes, you know, he's talking about the necessity of the new birth. The sermon's called the new birth. He goes, the new birth is not the same thing with baptism. So it does not always accompany baptism. They do not constantly go together. A man may possibly be born of water and yet not be born of the spirit. There may sometimes be the outward sign where there is not the inward grace. He goes, I do not speak with regard to infants. It is certain our church supposes that all who are baptized in their infancy are not or, or, or are at the same time born again and is allowed that the whole office for baptism of infants proceeds upon this supposition. And then he goes on later to say, you know, whether you are baptized or not, you must be born again. So we would still press the need to be born again, an individual, the, you know, the new birth. It's not like a sacramental hard sense where it's like, no, you were baptized as an infant. That's it. I would still say to it, to it, you know, somebody who's been baptized, you, you, you still have to be born again. And then I would say with infants, while I'm supposing them to be baptized or to be regenerated while recognizing the need for personal regeneration. Um, See that that introduces so many confused, so much confusing language. I think I think it introduces so much confusion. Yeah. It's then baptism like is necessary, but it isn't. I would propose a simpler way. I'm still working on this, but Romans 10: uh, If you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Um, so thief on the cross confesses Jesus with his mouth. He actually even begins to make the first steps of obedience. So he he silences the other man who's reviling him. So he has a public confession of faith, belief in him, belief that, that he will be raised from the dead. Now, that would have been confirmed in baptism if, for example, say he got down off the cross, he was spared from his death, what have you. Baptism then, instead of being this, and it's tough because there is a spiritual dimension to it, but I mean, like, I think of baptism, it's this public confession that adds on top of the faith that's already there. So like that young man that I'm saved, I believe in Jesus, I want to take the Lord's Supper, I haven't been baptized yet. Now he will go get baptized exactly like we said, and it is important, but it's important not as a induction to the physical church. Like he is gathering in Jesus' name on the Lord's day for the purpose of worship, of hearing the word, and partaking of the Supper. Lord's Supper. He's in the visible church in a sense. He's attending a literal local physical church for the purpose of worshiping Jesus, where two or three are gathered in my name. I know that's church discipline, but two or three that are gathered in my name, there I am. So I think there can be believers that gather, they haven't been baptized yet. Now those believers are going to, of course, make a public confession that they have been sealed up in Christ in the ark, that they have been united with him, buried with him in his death, in his death risen with him in resurrection. And baptism is a confirmation of that and an encouragement. Because the big thing that this hinges on Okay, practically speaking, what does this mean? It comes down to assurance of salvation. Uh, you should be able, your baptism is your public confession of Christ. I actually disagree with that. How so? So I don't. I, um, I no longer see baptism as a public confession. I see the Lord's Supper as our public confession. Both, both are. One's one. Uh, one I, don't, I don't even... Well, there, there's still a public confession in baptism, but I don't see that as a hard 
And and the benefit of, of the Lord's Supper is as often as you do this, right? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So yep. you know, you know, there we have the word proclaim. That's my public confession, which is why churches have you know, we don't do this anymore in Baptist and non-denominational churches and evangelical, but we have confirmation. Confirmation is a beautiful thing because that's when the 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 infant who, or the person who was baptized as an infant is confirming his baptism. And how is he doing that? By proclaiming the Lord's de death through the Lord's Supper. And so rather than baptism being this one-time public confession, now it's no more, I'm doing this every week with, with the saints and we're doing this together as a church. Sure. So I think the Lord's Supper is a confession, not baptism. So baptism is just the sign and seal uh, of, of those who belong to the church of Jesus. Oh, right. And I would agree with that. But <clears throat> if I use that terminology of um, public profession, of sign and seal, of a, of a means by which our faith is strengthened, then I'm saved from having to do the backflips of what about someone that is baptized as an infant or even as an adult and goes on to apostatize. Well, they're in the new covenant. If they're in the new covenant, then are they, they technically saved? Aren't they this? Aren't they that? Uh, I get out of all the difficulty <clears throat> of defining the physical church of baptism regeneration. I, I lay them out simply. They strengthen, they confirm, they confess our faith. God has given them to us. We witness baptism. We ourselves are baptized once. Every week we take the Lord's Supper. That seems to me, and more so I'd say the Bible seems to say, that corresponds better to the simple, almost childlike faith that we should have and that we are demonstrating. But I think, so I think baptism though is the easy way to distinguish between those who are in Christ. Like Paul in Galatians 3.27, he goes, for all of you have been baptized into Christ, have closed yourself with Christ. And he says, you know, even in Romans 6, he goes, for as many of you, what does he say? I'm just going to go there real quick. Many of you have put on Christ. As many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So this is distinguished. So, you know, you got two baptisms there, right? Baptized into Christ have been put onto Christ. Oh, uh, he says in verse 4 of Romans 6, he goes, therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death. Yep. So, you know, you could identify, oh, no, you know what? Verse 3 is stronger. He goes, oh, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? So there's two baptisms, or or at least there there's two prepositions there, baptism into Christ and baptism into his death. So you could say all those baptized, which is what, you know, using the language of John Wesley, our church supposes all infants, not adults, by the way, mm -hmm. all infants are regenerated. So I would say Lana, my daughter, she was baptizing. I'm supposing that Lana, by baptism, um, is is belonging to the church and is is regenerated. Here's the logical problem with that, though. Logically, then, at a, I mean, there'd be problems with this, but logically, then, at a hospital, we would need we it would be beneficial, at, in some spiritual dimension, to baptize all infants that are born, even to unbelieving parents. So if she is regenerate and you assume that on the basis, not that she has two holy parents, but on the basis that she was baptized in a Bible believing church in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit. If we're going to assume that then, then logically, especially if that's a means of regeneration, uh, then logically we should baptize all infants as much as people will let us do so. Yeah. And I know I actually, there's problems with taking that to its logical conclusion, but if it really is that powerful, if it works in that mechanical ex opere operato sense, 
if it really does regenerate in a true church, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, every Sunday, every kid that's been born that week, we should, in a Christian nation, bring them in versus a Baptist and then even rejecting the baptismal regeneration aspect. Uh, we would say, well, that doesn't do anything literally in and of itself. But when it's united with faith, it's a confirmation. It joins, it's been described as uh, in baptism, the one joins the many. And in, in the Lord's Supper, the many are joined into one. We partake of one cup, one bread. Uh, so it's faith that the one joins to the many, the, the visible church. I, I don't have that problem saying logically, we probably should baptize all of them. It would be at least somewhat beneficial. Yeah, um, I I thought about that actually the other day, and I do got to think about it more because, yeah, you know what you know do yeah what do you do right like say let's say like an un, unbeliever comes to me hey I want to get my 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 kid baptized I yep. say great are you a believer and no well not really or I learn or you know I kind of put two together after talking to them these, these people aren't really Christians sure w- what do I do I mean that's a, you know I don't I don't know the that adopted answer. kid like say the kid is adopted at birth neither of his birth parents are Christian and these parents have adopted him. Well, their faith, does it make him holy? Is it biological? Is it whoever serves as the parent? Because then especially, again, Christian nation, unlimited power, we should take all kids that are born to atheists for the good of their soul. Let me fire back on you though, actually. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm gonna fire back. um, And you know, this is not to, you know, knock you. So you, you know, you hold to several things. One, covenant succession. Mm -hmm. But even if you don't, the Calvinists like Calvin um, taught that it was the Westminster that baptism that that what it promises the thing signified is effectuate for God's elect, and not I know not all Calvinists hold to this, but they hold to regeneration before faith. So it's not you know I feel like if if you hold to these things, you, you at least should allow yeah okay baptism in infant baptism does regenerate and especially when you have like you have covenant succession where it's like i'm assuming and i get what you mean by that i'm assuming my my child because god works through means through godly parents to save bring about the salvation of his elect um i'm assuming he's elect which I, you know again i get like i'm not knocking you for that right. it's it's almost like it's not much different from me saying i'm supposing lana my daughter because she's baptized is regenerated because of the scriptures like god works through means like, like, basically, like, what's what's the oh, difference? Right. The, there's a means that God's apportioned, whether that be. And isn't that isn't that interesting talk? Baptism. You think about it: baptism, regeneration, versus covenant succession. It's like there is a lot of overlap, almost. Yeah. Like basically, a covenant succession is a Presbyterian form of baptism regeneration. It is, but it here's what it here's what it allows for. It allows for a gap of time. Just, I'm not even saying, like, I don't know. My son is two and a half. Is he regenerate? I don't want to say I don't think so. I'm going to say at least at this exact moment, I don't know. I would baptize him, Wes, if he's two. And because, you know, here's the thing, too. Your son's not going to reject Christ. And that's the thing I don't like about Baptists is that they'll put it off and they'll say, oh, he has to earn it almost. Well, the faith. Oh, no, no, not earn it, but make a credible profession of faith. But like where you know where's that in the scripture? You know what I mean? And, and again, the, like I'm not trying to, to knock the same place as age of accountability because you're if you yeah, think yeah. all infants are saved, regardless, you of, have to baptism. Yep, you have to get over the age of accountability. Is it at two? Is it at three? Is it at four? Is it once they learn English? 
I would like English God. and Spanish. Is it earlier? <laughs> yeah, no, no parla. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, you just increased it. And I remember my parents at like eight years old, like you're past the age of accountability. You're accountable to God for your own actions. That one's not biblical either. The age of accountability. Well, so, I think I actually think it is, but I think you, what you know, where age of accountability. Yep. Deuteronomy one thirty nine Isaiah. Let 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 the little children come to me. God, God acknowledges that that infants, like in the prom in Deuteronomy one, I think this is the strongest. God told them, "Your infants can go into the promised land, but not you." He goes, "Who have no knowledge of good and evil." So here we have God saying, confessing, they have no knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to let them in, but not you. Why are they allowed in? Because they didn't commit these sins, and they have no knowledge of good and evil. And the promised land is is a picture we know that from Hebrews of heaven. I think that's probably the clearest. And then you have Ezekiel, the son won't die for the sins of the father. That's even encoded in, in God's scripture in Deuteronomy 24, 6. Jesus says, let the little children come to me. I know, you know, he, he's using them as a picture for God's children, but he also physically blessed them. So I think if we add up the systematic reading of scripture, it's it's super easy to say, yeah, infants, they go to heaven. Like it's not, it's, it's, not, a, it's, it's sin, not a stretch. It's it's so easy, I feel like. Is sin metaphysical or ethical? It's uh, there's sin and actual sin, so it's it's both. So and that's both important. To ethical and metaphysical. If by eth- ethical you mean is it existing as a state prior to what I actually commit? Is that what you mean? It's big language. Man, ethical, I, mean, I I know. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's ethical component in that. So like Augustine conceived of sin as non-being. So if you think of God as the highest, perfect, most blessed being. And us as as lesser beings, sin is the farther, farther, farther we fall away from participating in that divine being. Um, versus I Calvin, sin conceive it on ethical. It's like what I do. So it's not just this lack of being that sin is. That when I indulge in sin and become even less human, participate less in the light of God. So much as I do a thing that transgresses my covenantal responsibilities. Be that covenant of works. Be that covenant of grace. I think there's, yeah, because, you know, side note, I just recently learned that uh, the Greek Orthodox doesn't believe and hold that distinction between sin and actual sin. It was that J. Dyer, Dreyer guy. Yep. Um, which I think is absolutely, uh, you know, retarded. You know, of course, sin is, there is sin and actual sin. What do you like, mean? Like sin exists without sin with, being actually committed? Correct. Like sin is being. It is, you know, there is this metaphysical thing. Like, yeah, then I can go ahead and commit that sin. I, I think because if sin is only what I do, then what is sin? Like, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of like you know, saying love is love, sharp is sharp. It doesn't make any sense. And the Bible talks about our nature being children of wrath, and it talks about us committing sin and disobedience. To conflate and and just um, reduce that only to what we do, because God warned Adam before he committed the sin, don't do this. So sin w- sin exists, the possibility existed, then Adam went and committed that sin. So you have to, even there, you have to maintain the distinction between sin and actual sin. But sin is not a, it's not literally this, this thing, even in spiritual terms, like it's not this object or this person. It's a, like James 115, uh, 114. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire when it is, conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death like like the sin like sins of sexual immorality they're not actually 
real things so much as their perversion. Sin literally means bent. It's a perversion. It's a bending of what God originally intended. Same thing with greed. God intended to be fruitful, multiply, take dominion of the earth, build up storehouses, be wealthy. Greed bends that and desires what isn't had. All it is is perverting what's actually good, decaying it, bringing it down. And I don't know. Why, why does subject, but because like it's it's oh, for infants for infants. Gotcha. So so infants that said the way an infant God would be just. God's always just in what He does. But the way God could justly there would be infants born uh, that would not be regenerated that would die in infancy could possibly be, I'm not making this exact argument, is that um, sin is like a virus. It's it's like a cancer. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, talks about Romans chapter 8, 1 Corinthians 15, that there's this aspect to sin that's like a cancer that eats and consumes, and the only antidote to it is the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, of being born anew into something, literally. Because God says, Genesis 3, Adam sins, and he doesn't say like, well, we just got to kick him out. He says, Here's what's going to happen. They could eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then they would rival God in a sense. That's kind of what it's described as. We have to kick them out of the garden. So that sin that's in Adam is not extended into infinitely long life and consumes the entire universe mm. into decay. That would be one way to kind of read, read of it. So the same way infants born to unbelieving parents, really even, no, let's say unbelieving parents, there is that original bent, broken, sinful nature that has no remedy from the faith of the parents that makes them holy, that sets them apart. I have a little bit of a different interpretation of that verse, 1 Corinthians 7. But um, but that there's that defect still there. And that is what, because we don't go to, like, it's not like you die and you go to heaven and you get a ticket and it says heaven or hell and you board whichever train you're supposed to go on. Hell is the continuation of a life lived in rebellion to God that terminates in a final dark burning place of judgment riddled with worms, gnashing of teeth, screaming, it's incoherent, it's senseless, it's it's empty, hollow, dark, burning. It's it's just this it's non-being in the deepest sense. Uh I don't I, I don't think it's non-being actually. Not non-being, not like annihilation. How very I mean, Tim Keller of you. Where Tim Keller? That's C.S. Lewis. Where yeah, I know. <laughs> but, yep. but Tim Keller drew on that actually. Sure. Um I disagree with with C.S. Lewis. I I think that's people just trying to appeal to hell to to a modern world. But there's nobody. There's nobody hell in made hell. For devil and the angels, Christ says. Yeah, and there's a conscious, there's a conscious physical, non-physical rebellion aspect there. But then turning into a Christian is the process of you're given a new nature. You now begin to order yourself according to God's law. You love Him. You behold Christ to become transformed into Him. J.C. Ryle talks about this, like, you actually, if you were just to go into heaven and you were a sinner, you would hate it. You wouldn't love the light and the beauty, the focus on God, the worship and truth. You despise those things. So the process of being sanctified is actually preparing you to actually be fit to even inhabit heaven and new earth. Yeah. Because you'd be terrified because you'd be completely uncomfortable. Holy even C.S. Lewis, scary, yeah. even C.S. Lewis, like, that's his description, like, the first few moments and paradise and in heaven they're supremely uncomfortable so when you think that of that organic infinite regression into darkness denial judgment all of that or an infinite uh ascent drawing nearer further up further in 
Those are the two ways I almost think about damnation and salvation. Uh, Karl Barth would say salvation is the eschaton of being. So being yearns towards a salvation that's complete to ascend, to see God face to face, Revelation 22, uh, to be made like him. To bring it full circle, the point is uh, there are some infants that have been elect and chosen and God begins that process through necessary or extraordinary means. And then for most of us, he does that through regeneration at a point in time, repentance, turning the other direction. We turn the other way and begin to pursue Christ. Our affections have been changed. I just can't, um, I can't understand then why you and Joel aren't, aren't baptizing your infants then. Like basically it's just kind of tweaking baptism regeneration. Well, like I think, I think I kind of, I mean, I don't want to, I don't know if you want to keep this on it or you know, maybe I shouldn't say this in case we post this because I don't want to knock you guys. <laughs> nope, go ahead. We're um, big boys. I'm, I'm thinking Joel doesn't want to do it because he knows there's repercussions if he does that. Like if you say baptism, infant baptism is one of those things where people get tweaked about. Um, that would probably lose some people. Get tweaked about? What do you mean? Like people get like, you know, you talk about the rapture not being pre-trip. People get triggered. Sure. If you talk about um, baptism, we get triggered, right? If we're a Baptist, if we're a Pado Baptist, right? I, I don't get triggered, but not most you. do. Okay, most yeah, do, yeah. yeah. Not not you. You're you're one of the. I'm better, better. than them. You're you're so much better. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I'm, though, I'm Wes, honestly, Wes, it, you want? I will commend you. So many people don't have this maturity to have this conversation. Like they hear these things as like, ah, oh, heretic. You know, ah. this is this is works. And it, it, like even that attitude alone, like if you're if, like, I'd rather you be like somebody be like you and be like, yeah, okay. It's not heresy. It, it's not works. And that your typical, like I was listening to Ali Bestucki. Uh, oh, that was your, that was your first mistake. Whatever you're about to describe to me, you already, you already messed up. About, about what? Listen to Ali Bestucki. Oh, honestly, I know, you know, um, I, and, but anyway, um, I was listening to her debate Candace Owens husband on Catholicism. And she's talking about the Reformation. She's talking about them, what they stood for, all all while she's a Baptist, who they would condemn as an Anabaptist. I mean, it's like just the audacity. And then, you know, she's saying when he pressed her, I would be interested to you know, hear you on this too, when he pressed her, is Jesus or is Mary the mother of, of God? And she was like, he's the mother, or she's the mother of Jesus. And I'm like, oh, come on, Allie. She probably does, literally doesn't even understand the theory. That's it. She's like your typical Baptist who th- who thinks she's the inheritor of the Reformation when she's really just a John MacArthur ESV study Bible in hand, and Christianity <laughs> was wrong up until up until me. And here I am going to show you the truth, you dumb Catholic. Like, and granted, I'm not a Catholic. I disagree with them too. <laughs> sure, sure. But it's just like she can't even say Jesus, Mary is a mother of God, she, and just the way she said it is like you don't deserve to be having this conversation. Like you. Know, yeah. Well, that's the bigger problem is that we're putting women for one women up to have why yeah. Why are we putting women up to have those conversations? W- would you say Mary's a mother of God? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Good. Yeah. And that's the one one person two natures. Yep. Like John MacArthur is, you know, says, you know, the blood does it's, it's not the blood of God, the blood doesn't save you. Oh, okay, well I guess you got two persons in there. And they talk about it and it's the, you know again here's Ali Bestucky thinking she's the inheritor of the Reformation, continuing Martin Luther's tradition, John Calvin, when lo and behold, you're defending people who would condemn you. Yeah. 
It's like the, oh. just the audacity and just, just the ignorance. Baptists have to p- prove our place as inheritors of the Reformation. Like the Anabaptists, like they're one of those groups of people that you read about them and you're like, I can kind of see why you were persecuted. I wouldn't <laughs> have done it, but you kind of brought it on yourself. Uh, no, I would agree. Like Baptists, we have to carve out our own. We have to make clear our affirmations. Like one of the most difficult, I'll, I'll throw out some breadcrumbs out there. One of the most difficult things for Baptists is about 85% roughly of the church global, like literally Catholic, Eastern Orthodox. They are baptized. They do baptize infants. So that would be about 85% of the visible church. Now, again, probably 70% of that number is not even regenerate. But 85% of the visible church has been baptized as infants. So if, if I'm going to confess one baptism for the remission of sins, I have to affirm that 85% of those one baptisms did happen to infants. Now, I think there's a whole, we can talk about this some other time, a historical arc that I can kind of trace from the early church where a mistake was made. And there's been, I think, now a maturity and a growth. But I do, I have to be intellectually honest enough to say, if I'm going to confess one baptism for the remission of sins, 85% of the church has been theoretically, I don't think baptized, maybe not wrongly, but too too soon. What would you say? So, well, yeah, because that's a great question. So, the eighty five percent of the church is unbaptized, right? So, when Paul says all those baptized into Christ have been put on Christ, right? Well, now you can't make that distinction. Uh, yes, I can. If we're talking about the true baptism, the ark union with Christ in His death and resurrection, and here's what I can say: I would say, by God's grace, I'm the perfect example of how to do baptism right. Maybe not perfect, but I grew up in a Christian home. And I, I probably was a Christian, but it was never my own in the sense of like, I think I actually believed those things. It was all parroting for for family and for the, the culture I lived in. Went to the Marine Corps, partied a lot, and then my faith became my own after I really, and funny enough, it was Tim Keller, like the way <laughs> he articulated. Ah! Oh, stay in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stop, stop the recording. <laughs> the Tim gospel. Keller did- Tim Keller? Well, I'm, it was Joel I'm using curious. Tim Keller. The gospel is where we are more wicked than we could ever imagine, but more loved than we could ever, more wicked than we could ever admit, more loved than we could ever imagine. That it's not that we perform, like I had such a performance mindset. I perform and God loves me for this. I do the things I that he doesn't like, but I keep them kind of minimal. I, I had that framework, but I was like, no, 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 you are wicked, but God loves you despite that. That was what changed me. But anyhow, so then I was baptized before becoming a member of the church, Joel's church at the time, uh, baptized one time as an adult. And, and now for one, I remember it. So if I ever, I didn't understand this early on in my life, but um, if I ever like doubt my salvation, for example, I can look back and say like, oh, I remember my baptism. I remember being baptized. Uh, those, like that's something that I get to have. Like if I baptized Owen now, he wouldn't. I was baptized, I understood it. I knew what baptism was. And so 85% of the church, I would have to say it's a real baptism. It is a real sign and seal that an individual, at least externally, has a union and attachment to Christ. But uh, I think it could be done better. That The Bible prescribes a better time for it. That's interesting. So would you say, like Lana, she comes to faith, eight years old, say. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, does she have to, so, so she, you know, she, she's not going to get rebaptized because, because, you know, you know, so I'm raising her. Nope. So would you say that was a valid baptism? 
Yeah. That's that's strange. I don't think most Baptists would say that. It's yeah, it's valid. Like like wine and grape juice at the Lord's Supper. Should it be wine? Yes. Are millions and millions of Baptists literally not taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday? No. Now it should be wine. It objectively should be. Yeah. But I'm not going to go so far as to say um, that it's not. Yeah. That they're literally not taking it. Because God God recognizes our weaknesses, like like Moses, like this because of Moses, the hardness of your heart, I allowed divorce. Divorce is terrible. He did allow it because he knew their hearts were hard. Well, because even, you know, even with Lana too, or you know, my kids, like I'm not raising her to be a Christian. I'm raising her as a Christian. It's like, it's like, why not just give her baptism, right? It's like one, I felt like I didn't want to have her miss out on something good, God's grace. But it could, because even when you talk about that too, like, you know, you say like, you can look to your baptism and, and have confidence. Even there, you're agreeing and saying that there's a thing and a thing signified. But there's yep. also this, but it, like it's it's so closely intertwined. Like yes, the Bible does use baptism to talk about uh, what is it? It uses baptism to talk about uh, what is it? I got your text. Five, five more minutes to roll. <laughs> but it, yeah, so it, it uses baptism. I mean, I, I totally forgot my train of thought. Like basically, what I'm trying to say is, you know, these things are so intertwined with one another sometimes in the scriptures, where it is hard to tell. Is yeah. you're talking physically, if you're talking baptized. spiritually. I think it does that because of baptism, though, because it is intertwined. Because there's a thing, and the thing signified. So there's right. the promise attached to the word. Yeah, I mean, I think of even the Lord's Supper too. The sign, me physically eating bread, physically drinking wine, the signification, like whoever does not eat of my blood and drink of my flesh has no life in him, that Christ is our nourishment. And and I think wherever possible, we do we default to the physical first. So we don't try to like make it all spiritual and then some of them we try to like maybe rescue them from being allegories. I think we do try to start with the physical as much as possible. John was giving a real physical baptism for now again behind that is the spiritual for the remission of sins um i confirm that same thing with like lord's supper all those things first it's physical if it doesn't fit physical like again i can't get over romans i think you said romans 6 uh all that are baptized into christ have put on christ no not literally i mean three billion baptized people in the world they do not all have union with christ they, they just don't they may have some external superficial attachment to the trappings of the church hebrews chapter 6 you've been enlightened was an early term for baptism enlightened tasted of gifts you've seen the smells and bells but actual bona fide union with christ yes or oh no well actually well yeah you know what let's just close out this conversation and, and continue another time because like like there's so much to talk about yeah 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 there is no this was this was good I think it's really interesting, though, actually, now that now that I understand covenant succession versus baptism regeneration, like if right. you just think about, like that is kind of they're so close in a sense. It really is like the Presbyterians, you know, these geniuses because they are a lot of them are smart. <laughs> like you, you, yeah. you dog, you. <laughs> it's like you found a way to be credible in a sense by not holding the baptism regeneration. It's like I see what you did there. Like, oh, like that is it. Get all the benefits. And... Yeah, there's like a genius to that, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like ah oh, man, like you dirty dog. I see what you did. There. 
Well, it's funny because you read Calvin on baptism, and he is so just like, this is the sign. It is the engrafting. Like I sent you those texts about how he talks about, like, whenever we fail in our sins, we look to our baptism, be sure that Christ has provided the full annulment through his blood. So he talks about all like that. And then he talks about infant baptism. Karl Barth says it's like two different Calvins. Because <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna layer on the beauty of baptism, which it is. One baptism for the remission of sins, washing by the water and the word. And then we do it to kids when they're eight years old, so they don't remember a thing. Like I was yeah, and here's I don't think I've told many people this, but so member at Joel Church for a while, and then like me and Sarah were getting married, we were becoming members. And it was literally like, it was probably three weeks, four weeks before, like I was actually baptized. Like I was just in service, never had this before, never had this since. And we're just worshiping. And all of a sudden I just sat down, like cried. And if I had to guess, it was either I was regenerated as a child before I was even aware of it, even aware of it. Or that was the moment that I was regenerated. Your Aldergate experience? My Aldersgate experience. Wait, so you were you were in Joel's church, you're saying? And then he I said I went to something? Joel's church on and off 2015 till I was deployed in early 2016. And then he preached something and it hit, it hit your heart? No, it wasn't even he preached something, but we'd been going. And like all these things were making sense. I'd yeah. stop, become, stop being in an Arminian. And then we were planning to become members. So we had like scheduled baptism. And there was one Sunday, it was during worship. And I was just like, and I, I'm not the type of guy like the last... Two times I've cried in the last three years have been Owen's birth and Theo's birth. Like those are it. And I just literally just sat down. I think it was, uh, what was the song? Jesus paid it all. I just sat down. Not a sloppy wet kiss. It was literally that moment, you know, where like the sloppy wet kiss. <laughs> this, is, this is for me. But if I had to guess, that would, again, either as a kid or later, that would be my guess. And then I was baptized three weeks later. So I actually could understand the gospel, actually knew who Christ was, could articulate what my salvation was, knew what baptism was, was baptized before the company of believers as a public profession of faith. I feel like that's what I want. I would hope my son would do it earlier. I'd hope he'd be 15. Because yeah, Sarah's I mean, brother, last thing I'll end with, um, Sarah's brother, he is walking away from the Lord pretty hard right now. Mm. And he was baptized at like 13 or so. And he was like crying about how Jesus saved him from his sins. And it's just, it's tough. You know, this is where the apostasy passages come in, dude. Like, I mean, Sarah's don't turn yeah. away. He, he, he needs right. a hard case of. Right. Like his baptism isn't an assurance to him because he's pretty much walking away from Christ. And he can, yeah. I mean, Hebrews, you know, he like these, this is it. Don't. Don't, you know, spurn the blood by which you are sanctified. Don't we crucify Christ? Yeah. Now that's talking about in the Greek that is saying the blood of the covenant. It's some translated you were sanctified. It's probably better translated by which the covenant itself was sanctified. So the new covenant, Jesus's blood is what it's sanctified by. Don't trample on it when given the opportunity, when presented, when exhorted to accept Christ on faith. Well, um, I think it's, it says he was sanctified. I think that he's a Christian. I mean, you know, that's another talk and debate. I can oh, he, he, not you. I think it's I think it's it by which it was sanctified. Yeah, I got to look into that. Um, that's what smart people say. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, so,